Let's fire up another fresh episode for the people, Andy. What are we talking about? I think we're talking about Joe Judge's fingerprint. We're talking about early depth charts, maybe a little bit of Marcus Golden. and, And what are we doing with Nate Solder? Oh, Papa Judge has got his fingers all over this roster, friends. But before we do, let's drop that brass. And with that, we welcome you back into another episode of the One Giant Podcast. I am Adam Marbrick. That is Andy Makowitz. How are you today, sir? I, I feel empty inside. We've got the draft behind us, and we don't know when the NFL season's going to start. So I feel like I'm kind of in this no man's land of, of no sport purgatory. I thought maybe you were dealing with a sickness of some kind, and it was just hard to keep down solid foods and liquids and things of that nature, but different. This is focusing on on the end of the draft, and now definitely for sure, right? We move into a little bit of what will certainly feel for you and me, I know, a slower time of the offseason. But there still is conversations to be had. We had highlighted it on our uh, post-draft wrap-up show about how the number of undrafted free agents that the Giants brought in was going to mean the exit for some uh, of the familiar names from last year, depending on whether or not they were on the starting roster or on the practice squad. So as we did a rundown just before we started, I said, I gave you a list of things we were going to do, and I'm going to go the exact uh, opposite direction of that. We might as well just clear these guys off the table real quick. Uh, On Tuesday afternoon, so yesterday afternoon, uh, tight end C.J. Conrad, center uh, Tanner Volson. You also had the D.B. uh, Bailey, uh, Sam Smith punter, along with long snappers, Holba and Drew Scott, all released for the Giants to make room for some of these undrafted free agents that they brought in. Any names jump out at you there? Yeah, the only one that really gave me uh, an interesting little hump was C.J. Conrad, the first uh, one that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, he played college football at Kentucky, and uh, when he came to the Giants, even though he was undrafted, you know, we got excited about his possibility just with his sheer size, you know, 6'5". Uh, I think he's almost 250 pounds. Um, was it was an interesting signing. I think, you know, one of the guys, much similar to what we think about with uh, – Ryzen um, this year being a six seven wide receiver, uh, which is one of the guys that we could get excited about. You know, undrafted free agent, don't really know what his skill set was, but knew that he had the frame to be uh, an interesting prospect. Just seeing him go away uh, was a little bit of a surprise. Is there anyone that you kind of thought about? Uh, only Holba was interesting because when Diasi got injured last year, he came in and handled the long snapping duties for us. So I thought maybe there's a carryover and a guy that you could lock into that position possibly for his upcoming season. So be interesting because they released two long snappers, what that'll look like uh, as far as how they'll how they'll uh, plug that in there. I actually think I said on a previous episode that I thought that Diasi had re- announced his retirement, but he actually hadn't. He was just suffered from that injury. So I guess technically there's a chance that maybe he could find himself back onto this roster. Yeah, agreed. And I think, you know, this is the time of year where we sign a bunch of uh, undrafted free agents right after the draft, just get some new talent in. We've been holding some guys on the practice squad with non-guaranteed contracts. You're going to see an influx. You know, we had six um, that were released. I think Austin Mack still has yet to be signed officially Mm -hmm. by the Giants. So there may be some more corresponding moves that are going to trickle out of this. But at the end of the day, you get to bring 90 players to camp. I think we're at about 93 or 94 at this point. So we're going to see some more transactions, some players get released. We've also claimed uh, a couple of players off of waivers. I know at least one 
was uh, a Miami Dolphins safety that Brian Flores has some, uh, you know, the Brian Flores had some familiarity with and the Patriots staff in general does. Um, so we're going to see some more movement of, of some of these back end players over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, Mac yet uh, yet to be signed. One of the guys that has been is uh, Benjamin Victor, that big wide receiver, also from Ohio State. So some things to be excited about potentially. We also signed Kyle Markway, a tight end out of South Carolina, uh, also 6'4", 250. So you got to expect some of these moving parts. And we had, we had wondered aloud last episode about – you know, what carryover do you get from some of these practice squad, fringe starting, you know, depth chart guys, and you're starting to already see some of that turnover. So I'm sure we'll get more names coming and going over the next couple of days and weeks. The other thing was, before we dive in onto, onto some roster conversation and depth chart stuff, maybe this is a footnote, but I always find these things kind of entertaining. And, and it's some of the communication that Joe Judge had with the draftees from the 2020 uh, NFL draft over the weekend. And I just really liked this. And this is when he was communicating uh, with Xavier McKinney, top of the second round, obviously safety selection for us. Uh, Judge said, when you talk to the media, you've already been through this with Coach Nick Saban, obviously, uh, at his alma mater there in Alabama. Judge reported said no predictions no comparisons be grateful for the opportunity all right i don't want to hear anything about super bowls or any of that crap you got that and mckinney's response was yes sir so i i, I just on the front end of it i like the expectation and tone that judge is setting i really this is what we thought we were going to get from him and i think that's what you want to hear you don't want the the uh the over emotional statement of, and we're, and you know, here comes championships. You want someone who's ready to have hard work. And then you wouldn't expect it anything less for someone who was coached by Nick Saban, where McKay's response was, you got it. <laughs> you know, what it, you say so coach, you got it. Well, and, and what I find interesting is the consistency of all of the, the drafted players in their messaging, you know, mm-hmm. for McKinney, it was, you're a high draft pick. You've come from a team that's won championships. This is how I want you to carry yourself now as a giant for some of the back end players. It, you, the messaging was loud and clear. You look at Shane Lemieux when they said, Shane, are you a center? Are you a guard? What are you? And he said, I am an offensive lineman and I will play wherever they want me to play. I will be competitive. I'm here to compete. You know, they ask a few of the different linebackers that were drafted in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, asking them, are you the inside linebacker? Are you the mic? Are you the edge? Are you outside? Like, strong side? What are you? And it's, I am a linebacker. I will play anywhere that I can on this team, you know, to help contribute to the team. And that feels very consistent with the messaging that Joe Judge has for these players is we're going to try to get you, you know, one of them even said, I made my my name at in college on special teams. That is where I excel. I will do anything I can to help this team win. That just feels like kind of the attitude that Joe Judge is, is really trying to make sure that his team feels, you know? Yeah, and you want continuity for sure. And listen, that, that's it's a footnote kind of thing, but I like as we're underneath this new coaching staff getting a sense that that he has a message that he wants to communicate and every single one of these draftees is on his on brand with that as well. To your point, you mentioned Lemieux there. This is where we can kind of turn the page over and, and talk about a couple different things along the offensive line from a depth perspective. Uh, along with that quote, as you mentioned, they said he thinks he's an offensive lineman. Went on to say, I'm a football player that plays offensive line no matter where the coaches want to put me to best help the team. That's where I'm going to go. 
speculation is is that he is the prime candidate to to move over and start to have an opportunity to compete at the center position. When we look over into this initial wave of how the depth chart shakes out, there's a couple of interesting things, and you're going to get a lot of different sources here. Uh, one of them, though, still lists Nate Soldier as being the current starting left tackle with Cam Fleming behind him, and then Andrew Thomas plugged in at starting right tackle. Um, we can piggyback a couple areas here. I think Lemieux is going to have a real chance here to come in and compete for the starting center position if he shows that he's strong enough to be able to take it on because uh, the the depth and the recent history there has been average at, at best for us. So a real opening for him potentially if he can show it in camp. And then the other piece is the Nate Soldier side of it, right? We know that it's going to come with a hit if the Giants were to part ways with him. But when you look at this, in my mind, uh, Thomas needs to get plugged in at the left tackle position immediately. And that's where you start. You deal with any growing pains he may go through. On the right side, it can be an open competition, but it just feels like Soldier, unfortunately, is going to be the odd man out here at some point along the way, especially if the Giants find opportunities to maybe pick up a free agent. Dead cap hit will hurt them, but you can still get some extra cap space on this roster as well, and they've done a nice job getting some depth there, right? Well, I think about... um you know, the initial depth chart, fine with me. It's it's just off-season fodder for mm-hmm. guys like you and me to talk about. I think, you know, what, what it makes me think of is Hugh Jackson in Cleveland um, when Baker Mayfield gets drafted number one and they do hard knocks. And uh, he calls him in, he calls Baker Mayfield into his office and he's like, after three weeks, congratulations, Baker, you have earned the backup quarterback position boom, like breaking news, you know, and, and you're kind of sitting there and laughing. He's the number one overall pick. He's making tens of millions of dollars. He's eventually going to start anyway. Like, what are we talking about here? It's kind of similar with the Andrew Thomas thing is, yeah, okay, initial thing, like congratulations, you are our right tackle because we don't have a right tackle right now. Like right. we'll just give you that position until you earn your stripes at left tackle. So for me, I kind of just chuckle at it. You know, the next 10 years, I envision Andrew Thomas being the left tackle. So whether they want to move him over there in April or July or September 1st, like doesn't really matter to me. Eventually he's going to move to the left side. Yeah, and that's ultimately where I see him as well. And then you talk about Nick Gates and, and Fleming. We already mentioned a lineman getting cut there with the influx of undrafted free agents. So you're going to see that shakeout certainly along the line. And I'm not too concerned about where they list some of these other pieces, uh, but they're all in the mix essentially is what it, it is what it comes down to right now. It'll be interesting to see once you actually get into training camp, uh, especially a player like Pert. I think he's one that I'm really interested just to see where he falls on the depth chart because that's going to dictate what maybe happens with Soldier or any these other positions and where you want to line backups at so as a you know third round pick that's a curious one one of the nice things that i don't think giant fans have been able to do for the you know the last three to five years maybe even longer than that you know is think about the options that we have at offensive line it's mm-hmm. always been like well we're stuck with this can we find some guy off the scrap heap that can maybe be one percent better than whatever we have we're now talking about having you know a very high drafted offensive tackle and andrew thomas Thinking about, do we want him on the left side or right side? You know, we have, for better or for worse, Nate Solder's contract and him on the left side. We signed Cam Fleming for, you know, as a swing tackle that can mm-hmm. kind of play multiple positions. You start thinking about Nick Gates, Shane Lemieux, both battling it out at center, but also can, you know, Lemieux can play guard in case there's issues with Zeitler or Hernandez. Like, all of a sudden now, we're talking about different options and different chess pieces that we want to move around on the board, as opposed to, like, we don't have a right tackle. Like, what are we supposed to do? Like, are you trying out for the team? Are they having an open try? Who's going to be our right tackle? 
Interestingly enough, one of the one of the footnotes there, and hundred percent, it's great to know that we actually feel like oh, competition for a quality player to be starting here across the line. The interesting note is that this is the this is a contract year for Zeitler, so there's going to be a lot of interest as far as during training camp what we see from Lemieux if he's at center, from Nick Gates center guard, because maybe potentially a spot that that Gates, let's say Lemieux goes into the center spot. Maybe Gates can be in line to take over at right guard the following season. So a lot of interesting flexibility there. And I'll be really curious if the Giants feel so strong about depth or if someone shows up there at right guard. Um, and this is just the, 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 the active thought of an older player like Zeitler probably has value for another team. There could be some opportunity here, depending on how camp goes, to maybe be able to move him for some assets potentially at some point prior to the season, I would think. Once you get into the season, you're talking about stability in front of Daniel Jones. So those things would have to work themselves out well beforehand before you go creating a potential a potential spot on the line where you, you'd have a concern. The yeah, other, like, yeah. I, it, it presents options. And in, in my whole little scheme that I just did, I didn't even mention Perp as one of the, the pieces. And that's yeah. important. You talk about, you know, Fleming being on a, a one-year deal. You're talking about Nate Solder uh, being able to kind of get out of his contract at the end of this upcoming season with uh, a little bit less of a cap hit. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you're talking about Zeitler in a contract year. There could, you know, in, in less than 12 months, this line could be complete. Four out of five positions could be completely different. And so it's important that we have this young depth that we can bring in, you know, start grooming them because, you know, people have said it a million times, the time that you need an offensive tackle or a left tackle, like desperation sinks in and you don't have any options available, which is what the giants have faced for, for a couple of years now. No, 100%. When we turn our attention over on the defensive side of the ball and we start to talk about the depth again, these unofficial uh, unofficial lineups as far as where the depth chart shakes out, linebacker is an interesting spot where currently you're going to go ahead and see Zimenez getting listed there at the outside linebacker position, potentially ahead of Fackrell. I, w- I would love that if that's the case, the way it shakes out in camp. Inside, Martinez and Connolly, if healthy, is obviously a nice one. And then Carter getting that start on the outside. But an exciting piece of news to talk about here, and a a bit of maybe not surprising, but just not a common thing that happens around the NFL. The Giants placed the uh, rare, unrestricted free agent tender on outside linebacker Marcus Golden. So essentially what this means is that right now, uh, Golden can still go out and negotiate a deal with another team. The Giants would not receive any compensation if he signed elsewhere, but Golden would count towards the Giants' 2021 compensatory formula if he ends up being if he ends up signing with another team. So they, they've done this, so now they create some value on either side of the fence. If they end up retaining him in some way, fantastic, you have a valuable asset. But if not, now we can talk about maybe, based on stat lines from last year, you could be looking at another Landon Collins-type situation where you're picking up a third-round compensatory uh, in, the, in the following draft, which I think is a really nice thing, that the really nice move that, that Gettleman and the Giants made here. Well, see, so there's a lot of misinformation going on about this Marcus Golden tag. They're calling it the May 5th tag. It's the unrestricted free agent tag. A couple things I want to clarify. Um, It is it is an interesting move for the Giants. I would categorize it more as a Hail Mary than anything else. Um, With the contracts that the Giants have brought in, in Blake Martinez, Fackrell, Bradbury, um, the Giants are way behind in, in the compensatory pick situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't th- whether he signs with another team or not. The Giants won't be getting a compensatory pick because they've brought in too many free agent contracts for that to matter. So what's interesting about this is if um, 
if Marcus Golden is not signed by a team by July 22nd, he can only play for the New York Giants next year. Correct. He can only play for them uh, on the tender that the Giants had, and I believe it ends up being about $5.5 million in in total, somewhere around there. Yeah, 5.225. Yes, $5.2 million. But what happens is if if he is signed before July 22nd with any other team, while it won't impact the Giants, it will directly impact – the other team's ability to get compensatory picks. So, you know, normally they, they kind of move past a certain date and then all of a sudden, you know, people can sign free agents and it doesn't hurt them. Mm-hmm. The Giants have put a unique tag on Marcus Golden to say, hey, any team that you want to sign him, it's going to hurt you punitively. So if you want to pay him nine, $10 million on a one-year deal, that's great, but it's going to hit you on your compensatory calculations. Well, I thought about it. So a couple of things. From the compensatory standpoint, you are right with how many players we brought in. I guess maybe the caveat would be depending on if things happen during the year. You know, uh, we've mentioned a Golden Tate scenario possibly. or You know, a couple of pieces. Maybe you could see some veterans getting moved along the way. But it would take a handful before you get into that value. The other thing that I thought about was by, by getting it to the place where it says if he's on the roster after the 22nd of July and then can only play for the Giants – but but the number that's there, right? The five point two two five million. What I think that does as well is if another team wants to get him, now you're also talking about setting a market for him. So you know you just mentioned nine ten million a year from another team, but because they may they're gonna it's gonna hurt them in their compensatory efforts. Now all of a sudden you put Golden into maybe you're actually creating a market where other teams are gonna say, well yes, we want to sign you, but if it's gonna hurt us a little bit in some way from a compensatory standpoint. We're only willing to go to seven million, or you know, to, to six and a half, seven million for the year. And I wonder how that'll play into to Marcus Golden's thinking. And if then at that stage, the 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 Giants is there a two year offer that they maybe want to construct for him? Would he be happy to come back on that contract for the Giants if he's locked into it technically? So there's a lot of weird little avenues that this can go down over over a relatively short amount of time this summer. Yeah, and and it is interesting. And I'm I'm thinking about it more simply. Like, okay, he wants ten million. We're at five. What are other teams going to offer him? Are they going to offer him seven and a half, eight? Mm-hmm. Like if he could come back to the Giants at $7 million and we can meet somewhere in the middle, like he's already guaranteed to get 5.2 from the Giants. Why can't we just meet in the middle and get this done with and pay him an extra million, million and a half, get him back on a one-year deal and let him re-go establish himself back in the market? Now, the challenge with that is the Giants, while they placed this tag, and I think it was a smart move because why wouldn't you place this tag on him? Um, it seems like they've moved on. They drafted so many linebackers. They signed Fackrell for exactly the position that Golden was p- potentially playing. They have Mayo. They have Zimenez. They have Carter. They have so Blake Martinez. They have so many linebackers that it, it almost seems like they've pushed him out and he's not part of any long-term plans. But, hey, can't, can't hurt if you can get him back at a $5.2 million deal. You feel like you got a steal in the market. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think you're right, though. Age and changeover in regime, scheme alterations, potentially. It just all added up to, to unfor- if it, you still had Betcher here, if things had gotten better last year, then I think it looks a lot different for Golden and his relationship with the Giants. But this just, it ends up being where we're, we're getting a lot younger in a lot of spots. And unfortunately, the price point wasn't going to match up with some of the other areas that we wanted to address. Yeah. And, and I think what's interesting is talking about that salary, the money has to come from somewhere. And so while this is all going on, one of the interesting things that I want to circle back to the offensive line really quick is the conversation around Nate Solder. So we really have established a nice mix of young and veteran 
talent across the offensive line. I wouldn't say we're top 10, but I, I, at this point I'd say we're middle of the road, maybe somewhere around 15 in terms of offensive line talent. Um, but one of the things is with, with Nate Solder playing so poorly last year, um, we start looking at the cap hit that we would take by potentially releasing him. And that's some of the big talk that's going on right now is most people are saying that he's not in our plans for next season. And they're comparing the different cap hits that the Giants would take if they were to release him now versus next year. And one of the considerations is Marcus Golden, right? Like if they, if, if they need money to sign him, it's got to come from somewhere else. And if you can potentially save six and a half million by releasing Nate Solder, which one would you rather have on your roster? All things equal. Right. And I'd rather have the, the extra depth value at, at that linebacker core position for sure. Because again, even in, you know, and one of the things that I thought about too, and I will say this for, for soldier, there's a couple of things and it's easy to gloss over this. Um, you know, he had a lot of off the field stuff going on with his family and his son and the health and his health. So you don't want to dismiss that just as far as the impact it has on the individual and, and just being sympathetic to that. And maybe uh, to that end thinking, having a veteran offensive lineman on the roster, helping to teach these players, helping to teach Thomas, even if it's from a film room perspective, right? This guy's obviously been around the league a long time, has seen a lot of football. Even if the body isn't able, the mind is probably more than strong enough to help communicate some of those ideas. So there's value to keeping him on the roster, but it really ends up coming down to how competitive are you looking to be this season in terms of wins and losses? And when you look at the guys that you drafted in that linebacker room, what is the value of bringing in Golden? Where does it slot these guys on the depth chart? And, and how much sooner would you rather see them get reps? And specifically, you can point to, because even when you talk about this general this general depth, right now, Carter Coughlin listed third there behind Kyle Fackrell, uh, Kyler Fackrell, excuse me, and then Cam Brown, right now behind Peace uh, on that, on that uh, outside linebacker spot with Lorenzo Carter starting there. I can see, you know, I can see Carter or, or Brown being in line to be the second behind, you know, behind just one player on the depth chart. So if you bring in golden, then you're, you're probably saying these guys are going to have a real fight to get up and to get some reps in games. And I just wonder from an organizational standpoint, you know, where do you want to place the value on rookies getting some reps and in-game experience? So they're that much stronger the next year, or, you know, maybe turn, maybe an extra win on the season by having golden. Admittedly, I, I am kind of the other way than you on this one is, I, I, I've kind of said it all along that I'd rather have Nate Solder knowing that, you know, we don't save as much money as we would really like this year. And I think having a veteran, you know, switching him over to the right side, not the easiest thing in the world just to say, go play another position. But I think bringing him into camp, having him compete for that right tackle spot, you know, letting Pert learn behind him, having Cam Fleming sit back as, as the backup, having Solder as that insurance policy. What if, you know, Andrew Thomas twists an ankle and is out for three games, knowing that Nate Solder has had that experience playing the left side, albeit not great last year. I, I just look at it like we just got the offensive line to give us a little bit of flexibility. We remove our number one veteran to save a couple million, and then we sign Marcus Golden, who plays a position that we just drafted such an influx of talent that I, I kind of would rather just keep him there as a veteran leader across the line no matter where he is. Well, like I said, I mean, I think we agree in the sense that I don't necessarily. I'm I'm completely fine with it with the Giants not bringing Golden in. I don't see I don't see it as we need to bring this player back in. I liked who we did first last year. I don't need him on this roster. On the Soldier side of things, I think where we differ is that I look at it as I don't know 
If Wes, you go into the season, I think that the connection with Fleming to uh, to our offensive coordinator and Jason Garrett, familiarity there. Nick Gates having shown at least that you know he's the swing. He played in games. Uh, Pert, I wouldn't list as one of these options. But, but I do already see – I see two viable options in a pinch. If Thomas had something happen to him, I'd, I'd probably be just as comfortable, if not more so, putting Fleming or Nick Gates in at left tackle in a pinch as opposed to putting Nate Soldier back out there based on what we saw from him last season. So fr- from that standpoint, you know, again, I, I agree with you that bringing him into camp makes a lot of sense. If he goes over to right tackle and wins out, you go, listen, great, rejuvenated yourself for a season or two. Uh, But if you find yourself where you're sitting there and saying, we have Thomas at left and we have, let's say, Fleming at right. That's how how we sort it out. And then you say, and then Gates has really locked himself in as this swing backup. If Soldier is sitting there as the third option at one of the tackle positions behind any of these combinations, then I then I think at that point it's just it's time to it's time to move on because the value is not there necessarily. Um, and you got to remember too, cuts start happening around the league. I think not golden, but there could be another player that becomes available out there, and that's when releasing Soldier could end up being a really advantageous move for the Giants. As as a prime example, the Seattle Seahawks just released their starting center Justin Britt, who uh, you know, had had a torn ACL um, towards the end of, of last season and just didn't make sense for them to hold on to him. It, you know, we don't necessarily know his health, and that's the hardest part of these times is, like, how do you get people in for physicals and things like that? But certainly the Giants would want to take a look at that if they could, you know, keep Lemieux strictly as a, as a guard or, you know, move Gates to a swing tackle position in the right tackle or, or center. You know, it's just one of those depth moves that you're talking about. And we, you know, we still have Spencer Pulley on the roster. We can free up some cap space if, if we release him. So I, I do see some different options as people get released. And it's going to be interesting. Like I said, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be signing some more undrafted free agents. We're going to be claiming people off of waivers. We may even make a few of these smaller signings. So, you know, the back end of our, our training camp roster may look 10 or 15 players different than it does right now. Yeah, even some of the undrafted free agents that we signed after the draft concluded may find themselves not ultimately being on the roster based on who becomes available. So it's it's a very it's a very fluctuating time. We've already seen as we as we highlight some of these guys being let go and I would assume you'll see more of those practice squad guys. You'll see the the back end of that of that roster is going to get chopped away first and foremost as you try to hold on to these new young players you've brought in, feather in a couple of veterans potentially along the way. Uh it, it's interesting. This is the next this is the next phase of the off season for the Giants. And we're not going to be short on on topics like this, I think, as we move through the next couple of weeks. Well, that, that kind of brings me to one other question. So we talked about the roster. Now that you've seen the roster and where it sits, yeah. uh, I'm curious. You look at some of the different uh, betting sites on where people stand in the NFC East right now. And obviously they have you know the Cowboys listed at number one. Uh, they have the Eagles listed at number two. They have the Giants listed at three and Washington at four. But the Giants to win the NFC East is eight to one odds right now. So they're basically saying they don't really have a chance. It's just the Cowboys and the Eagles. Do, do you think based on the free agent signings and, and the draft the Giants had that may, maybe, or are we still looking at it and having the realistic point of view to say, you know, five to seven wins is probably where this team sits. 
Yeah, five to seven feels right about right. You know, again, it's not just about the division. The Cowboys got stronger offensively. You know, they're they're going to be I they're the odds on favor to win the division as well. They should be. Um, then you go outside the division with with the Ravens and you know the Cleveland Browns, the 49ers, the Steelers. There's a lot of competition for us this year uh in terms of our opponents for the schedule. I think what'll be very interesting to see is early in the year we're going to get a real sense about where this team is and where their ceiling might be. If let's say the first matchup against Philadelphia, right? They give them a bit of a gut check and maybe McKinney's impact on the defense. And all of a sudden it looks like they're developing a little bit quicker uh, than we anticipate. The offense I think can, can, can build its consistency and, and have a little bit of firepower to it. But as we said all along, I think we're still that extra year away, right? We just highlighted all the offensive line talent that we probably want to see develop and get better and, and find their rhythm as well. So there, there, there's still going to be growing pains for this team. Uh, I, I wouldn't put money down even at 8-1. to one. I, I think you're better to hang your hat on the following year and seeing where the odds are then because I think we'll still be uh, in that range of the Philadelphia Eagles behind the Cowboys and wondering if we've taken that little step forward this year to give Giants fans some hope for 2021. Yeah, I think it's realistic. You know, I kind of said it tongue-in-cheek just knowing that um, we've made improvements, uh, but the division is strong, like you said. It, it's just, you know, as a Giant fan, you, you start thinking like, wow, well, we short up the offensive line. Like, Feeling mm-hmm. pretty good. We we addressed the linebacking position. Our secondary has gotten better with McKinney and Bradbury. Like we've done a lot of good things, but I, I think what we really need to take into account is how bad we were at those positions last year, right? Like we we're not talking about taking a good team and making it great. We're talking about defensive liabilities all over the field and and starting to address some of those areas. So yeah, for for me. You know, I, I'm trying to keep expectations low. I'm sure by September I'll have the Giants as Super Bowl champions just because that's what happens as, as, a, as an avid Giant fan. Um, but, but as it stands now, yeah, I, I think it's tough to, to envision the Giants as a better team than either Dallas or Philadelphia. As the offseason reports start coming out and they start to say, hey, some of these sleeper picks from the draft are really bubbling up. Watch out. I fall, I fall prey to it every single season. I fell prey to it last offseason when they told me that the offensive line was, you know, looking pretty solid from where it's been before. And then you had the center position really fall apart, right? Tackle is a disaster. Nate Soldier continued to decline. And somehow they, they, they gave me the old rope-a-dope once again. The difference this year is that we're selling youth and building towards a steady and consistent future. And that's what's exciting for me. Uh, you can, as we always say, follow us on social media at One Giant Podcast. Head over to iTunes, download, rate, review, and subscribe. We will be back talking all things New York Football Giants this offseason. And as Andy Makowitz likes to say, let's go, Big Blue.